Welcome back to the New Mexico Rising podcast. This is your host, Amanda Aragon, Executive Director of New Mexico Kids Camp. We have a really exciting episode in store for you today about one of the most important and critical topics in education, teaching kids to read. It's a must-listen episode and an important conversation that we hope you'll share with others. Before we get into today's episode, a few quick reminders and requests. First, today's episode is our fourth episode. If you've missed the first three, go back to the feed after this episode to catch up on what you've missed. In our first episode, we chatted with Albuquerque Public Schools board member and education policy expert, Danielle Gonzalez. In our second episode, we talked with Yasin Armstrong, vice chair of the governing board for Sydney Gutierrez Charter School in Roswell, New Mexico. And in our most recent episode, we had an incredible conversation with Matt Montano, superintendent of Bernalillo Public Schools. We would love to hear your feedback on our episode so far. You can share your thoughts by emailing us at rising at nmkidscan.org. Or even better, rate us on your favorite podcast app and leave us a review. Lastly, we would love for you to share our podcast with your networks. We need you to help make sure this podcast is a, is a success and help our fellow New Mexicans hear these inspiring stories about what's possible for our students. Okay, back to today's episode. As I mentioned, today's episode is about one of the most important topics facing education today, teaching our students to read. The way that we sequence the progression of education is that we actively teach children to read through third grade, at which point we switch from teaching kids to read to them reading to learn other content. As of our most recent state assessment data, only 32% of our third grade students are proficient in reading. Let me say that again. Only one in three New Mexico students is on track to be proficient in reading by the end of third grade, meaning we are sending 68% of our students on to fourth grade without the most critical skill, reading. In recent years, this conversation has taken a place front and center in national conversations. We've seen successes from states like Mississippi, who have dramatically increased their reading proficiency by embracing what has now become known as the science of reading. Building off momentum created by New Mexico State Senator Mimi Stewart's Senate Bill 398, passed in 2019, New Mexico has begun our own journey to embrace the science of reading. I'm so thrilled to welcome Bella Chandler to the podcast today to dive into the science of reading and help us all better understand how we can make progress towards improving New Mexico's literacy rates. Bella is a kindergarten teacher at S.Y. Jackson Elementary here in Albuquerque. She started teaching kindergarten in the 2007-2008 school year, so she's been teaching for 16 years. She received her bachelor's from Eastern New Mexico and a master's in elementary education. She is nationally board certified as an early childhood generalist and currently serves as a national board's mentor for the Stanford University online cohort. Bella was also recognized as a Golden Apple Distinguished Teacher in 2019. Bella, welcome to New Mexico Rising. Thanks for having me. It's my favorite topic. <laughs> I'm so excited. I um, Someone sent me a TikTok, one of my sister's friends actually, that was, oh, this is going to be hard to explain, but it was like, I think I'm fun and cool, but I end up talking about early literacy <laughs> when I'm with friends at a party. And she was like, why does this remind me of you? And I was like, because... It is. Yep, so I me. think we share a passion for this topic, and I think it's so, so important. And I think particularly 
for parents and other educators to hear this from an educator. Hopefully, our goal is that it helps people understand that this isn't just a policymaker problem. This is something that we can all watch for, be mindful of, and hopefully help change what we're doing in New Mexico for every kid and not just the kids that are lucky enough to be in your classroom and the classrooms of other educators like you. So let's start at the beginning. What is the science of reading? Well, first of all, it's not a fad. It's not the pendulum swinging the other way. You know, I hear that a lot. Um, the science of reading is a compilation of research. It's been conducted over the last 50 years across the whole world, cultures, languages, and how brains learn to read. It includes literally thousands of studies worldwide, different related fields, cognitive psychology, communication sciences, developmental psychology, education, implementation science, linguistics, neuroscience, and school psychology. The key takeaway from all of this is that brains learn to read in the same way. And much of this is settled science. It isn't a debate. It is scientific fact. I think it's so interesting because, you know, in, in the conversations that I've heard in, you know, the last, and admittedly, well, people have been, you know, on this journey for much longer. You've been on it much longer than I have. But in the last, you know, couple of years where we've really been digging in, I think it does make sense, you know, for people to assume that what we used to assume about reading, which is like you learn it the way you learn language. You're just around it. And this is why for so long we just told parents, just make sure your kids have books. Mm -hmm. If your kids have books, they'll learn to read. It'll just happen. And so now knowing that we can actually scan the brain and see how the eyes are tracking words and do all of that, um, and the science of reading has really helped us understand, no, you don't learn it like you learn language. You learn it by your brain doing very specific things that allows you to read words, whether you understand that word or not in the beginning. And so I'm just, it's, I think it sounds big and scary. And part of the reason I wanted to start with what is the science of reading is just to say, hey, it's not this big, scary thing. It's not a fad. Mm -hmm. It is using yeah. the best information we have to teach our kids to read. Well, I know I believed that it was just a natural process. You know, you put an infant around language, they will learn to speech, learn to speak. They're, our brains are hardwired for language. They are not hardwired for print. So important. That is so important. One, one thing that I hope people take, there's a lot of, from this conversation that I hope people take away, but let's start there. So you've been a teacher for 16 years. How did you get started on this literacy journey that you've been on? Well, APS adopted Benchmark Advance in 2018, and it's brand new. I'm going to teach it with fidelity. Um, there was a mini lesson titled Phonological Awareness, and it had me tell my kids, give me a thumbs up if all three words are the same. Give me a thumbs down if they're different. And I said, car, car, shoe. And most of my kids were like, yep, that's all the same word. And I went, wait, what? So we did more, and they literally couldn't hear it. So I started digging into what, what is phonological awareness. I found Susan Tolman's Hourglass. I had no idea the progression of skills that went into it. Um, so if you look up the Hourglass, and you can just do a Google image search for it, it shows at the middle of that Hourglass, the most narrow part, is connecting phonemes to graphemes which is where I started teaching my kindergartners. I neglected all of the previous skills that lead to that, alliteration, syllables, phoneme skills of segmenting, blending, deleting, substituting, reversing, all things that you do by listening. You know, they'll say, look, phonological awareness can be done in the dark. You don't need any print for it, and you kind of do have to be able to do that before you can do the next thing. 
So then I took the it's a six-hour PD from really great reading called Emergent Reader. I have taken it four times so far. Um, I learned something new every single time. Um, and then I brought my kindergarten teacher bestie, Karen Mayo, with me. And the very first time we took that, we're texting each other, what's a morpheme? I feel really stupid right now. And so we're Googling madly, and then we just kept going. We found Hegarty Phonological Phonemic Awareness Curriculum. Oh, that has been a massive game changer for my kids. And then we took sound wall training from Tools for, uh, Tools for Reading. We incorporated that into our classrooms, and we just became very aware of all of these components that we were unaware of. Like we thought, hey, if I just show you this is letter A, it spells A like an apple, that that would be sufficient. And it's not. <laughs> okay. So stumbled on it. Honestly, I mean, you you were adopting the new mm -hmm. instructional materials. Yeah. Um, but you could have skipped that lesson. You could have, you know, I don't know, done something a little different that maybe would have led you on a different journey that wasn't where this one led. So I think that's so interesting because even when we talked about this story before, car, car, shoe, I think we everyone goes like, yeah, those are different words. You know, right. those are different words. It seems but to know really easy that a classroom of <laughs> kindergarteners, if they don't have all of these preceding skills, don't recognize that those are different words. Is, was shocking to me to hear. So, I'm glad that you investigated what's happening instead of saying like, oh, this must be a bad exercise, because surely they know these are yeah, three different. This words. is too simple. My kids can do this. Okay, so I think this is really important to reiterate. You've been teaching for 16 years. Mm -hmm. At this point, 14 years when you had this kind yep, of. This all started uh, 2018 when we adopted Benchmark. So you have a bachelor's. Mm -hmm. You have a master's. Mm -hmm. You're nationally board certified. Yes, ma'am. And you never learned this prior to that. The vast majority of teacher prep programs do not prepare elementary teachers to teach reading. I mean, some do. Yep. Sure, but the overwhelming majority of elementary teachers report they did not learn how to teach reading. So there's a Facebook group called The Science of Reading, what I should have learned in college. It's got almost 200,000 members. We're all learning together, sharing PD. Um, but because teacher prep programs don't teach us, we learn from the experienced teachers at our school. And they weren't taught how to do it either. And it's not their fault. It's not my fault. Um, but that's how we end up with strategies like lips the fish and eagle eye strategies. Um, I readily admit I taught three queuing because it's how I learned to teach. Okay. A couple things that you just said that I think are so important. One, I want listeners to really understand that what you said wasn't just true when you went through ed prep. It is still true today that in most educator preparation programs, we are not teaching teachers how to teach reading, the way that science tells us children are learning to read. Across the country, that seems to be true. I will give CNM a shout out. They are teaching us. You know, CNM, they just lead in so many <laughs> great ways for our community. So shout out to CNM. Um, so that's one thing. The second thing you said that I think is really, really important. Actually, I just, you were always planning on being an elementary teacher? No. Um, I was a stay-at-home mom, and I started volunteering in the classroom, and I dug it. And then once you started exploring teaching, was your inclination towards elementary? or Yeah. So Because that, that's the other thing. I can understand if you're a secondary chemistry teacher, 
maybe you don't need, I would still argue you do, but let's say someone decides, you know what, we don't need to teach them the foundational aspects of reading instruction. Well, they but shouldn't need to. For all of our for all of our teachers that are going in knowing that they're going to pursue a license to teach elementary, just the fact that we're not teaching them how to teach reading correctly just blows my mind. And I, and I think it should be true for fourth and fifth grade and, and potentially sixth grade and middle school until we fix this problem because we know that we're sending kids to middle school without reading skills. So that was one thing I wanted to reiterate. And then the last thing, um, you said 3 queuing. Mm-hmm. So let's just go there right away. Can you talk about what three queuing is? And then we might spend a little bit of time on this conversation because I want parents to understand it in case they see it, hear it, and we can give them some ideas on how to intervene. Sure. Um, three queuing is pretty much at the heart of balanced literacy and what we are promoting is structured literacy. Um, it's based on finding meaning, making meaning, context, not decoding. So the heart of reading is decoding. I mean, full stop. Um, three queuing takes the reader's eyes off the print to the picture. So then, you know, they're looking at it and they read pony as horse. They look to the picture and despite the fact that the letters on the page are P-O-N-Y, they read horse. It looks like reading, that they're making meaning, blah, blah. Um, so the decodable books, and I'm sorry, Benchmark Advance, but they claim to be decodable, but it shows an illustration of a baby crawling and the words under it are the baby crawls. And so, I mean, even as high achieving as my students are right now, I wouldn't expect them to read the word crawl. That A-W, not appropriate. So the real issue doesn't really show up until years later when the pictures go away and they no longer have a reliable way to guess. And guessing isn't reading. Um, The best explanation I have for what 3Qing is and why it's harmful, it's a YouTube video called The Purple Challenge. It's got two parts. I cannot recommend enough that everybody watch that. Every teacher, every admin, every parent, every single stakeholder should watch that. And it's exactly how I taught for way too long and how too many teachers still teach reading. It's not our fault. We didn't know better. But it really is time for us all to know better and do better. I love that. Know better and do better, right? And there's so much of this conversation that I think some people can take and turn into teacher shaming which I want to be very clear, that is not what New Mexico KidsCan stands for. I don't, I've, in my conversations with you, I know that's not what you stand for. If you don't know better, you can't do better. So now our job is to make sure that every teacher in New Mexico does know better so that we can do better. But I think that this is really important, um, and I'll talk about this more in our like follow-up after the interview, for parents to understand what 3Qing is, what it sounds like, what balanced literacy is and what it sounds like, so that if they're getting that, those instructions are coming home with them, if they're seeing those kinds of texts, they can say, hey, Miss So-and-so, hey, Mr. So-and-so, can we have a conversation about the way my child is learning to read in your classroom and potentially with the principal and the superintendent to make sure that before it's too late, before a child, to your point, is in sixth grade and the pictures are gone and there's no pictures to cue them as to what that word is. Um, or before they even like have this confidence that they know how to read when they don't, they're just good at inferring meaning to your, to your um, description, that there's some intervention to say like, hey, as a parent, because I think that's the other tragic part. You had the heartbreak on the teacher side. Mm-hmm. But the par- the heartbreak exists for the parents, too, who are like, I just didn't 
I didn't know my kid wasn't learning to read the right way. I I was sending them to school and I was getting good reports back and and I thought we were good. I thought mm-hmm. we were good. And I and now my child's entering middle school and can't read or you know, potentially entering high school without good literacy skills. So Lots more to come about from New Mexico Kids Can over the next year about 3Qing, how parents can get engaged in this conversation about balanced versus structured literacy. Um, but this is kind of the beginning of that journey for us and and this interview. So I'm just one of the many reasons I'm so grateful that you're here. So you've made huge changes in your instruction since your journey started. What successes are you seeing so far? Well, <clears throat> first I need to talk about Nancy Young's letter of reading. So it shows us that 5% of kids will learn to read without any obvious effort at all. 35% are going to learn easily, regardless of what instruction they get. So that's about 40% of students. But 40 to 50% of students, learning to read requires code-based, systematic, explicit, sequential instruction. 10 to 15% of our kids are dyslexic, and they absolutely will not learn to read without code-based, systematic, explicit, sequential instruction with a lot of repetition. Some kids need a 1,000 exposures to learn a letter name. So what that means is I kept data from the last several years, and I'm not including COVID. So these are the five years, I think, before COVID. I would run about 40 42% proficient on the middle-of-year state assessment, which is totally in line with Nancy Young's letter of reading. So, again, my teacher, Bestie, and I, um, last year and this year, were at 94 and 95% proficient on I-Station MOI scores two years in a row. We more than doubled our proficiency. So our kids are now reaching our, what used to be our end-of-year expectations between October and December. So kids that we would have preferred, uh, referred for diagnostic eval, they're now proficient. And it wasn't the kids. It was our instruction. 100% of our students will benefit from structured literacy. It harms no one. Balanced literacy, 3Qing, Lucy Calkins, F&P, all that stuff actively harms fully 60% of our students. The brain's hardwired for speech. It's not for print. The only way is with code-based, systematic, explicit, sequential instruction. I, okay, so let's recap. I just, I will do this for the rest of the podcast because there's so much great things that you're saying that I think our listeners need to hear multiple times. New Mexico's literacy rate for third graders, what did I say? 32%. Um, to your point, the data shows. Roughly 35% of kids are going to learn if they get some instruction. Mm -hmm. That's about where New Mexico's proficiency sits across the board. But with with structured literacy instruction, like what's happening in your classroom, you're at 95% proficient on the middle of your assessment. That means one kid is not. Which is, again, what the data shows, that if you do this correctly – most kids are going to get it, and a few, maybe one, are going to need some additional intervention instruction, to your point. And I think you said something that I think is hugely important, which is before, and still currently in a lot of classrooms, for those classrooms where 60% of kids are not meeting proficiency benchmarks, we refer a lot of those children mm-hmm. for special education services. Yep. We are labeling them with something that they may not need, mostly because we've been instructing them poorly or the wrong ways. 
in classrooms, which can have like a huge detrimental effect. Other than the, the fact course. that then they're in a classroom that is employing structured literacy. That's true. Our special ed point. programs are aligned to the science of reading. It was our general ed programs that weren't. That's so fascinating. I mean, I'll tell you, I had a kid this year. He came in level one, red, high risk on ice station in August. And then in September, level one, red, high risk. Level two in October, level three in November. So I'm like crossing fingers. Stay level three for December, baby. Come on. Maybe level four. Mm. He was level five. That's amazing. And then again in January. And I will tell you, in 16 years, I have never taken a kid who started the year level one and moved them to level five in an entire school year. Never mind. I did it by December this year. Amazing. It works. His mom and I cried. Amazing. Amazing. Okay. You've also used a word that I think we should um, explain. Decoding. Mm Mm-hmm. So what does that mean? How, what, I guess just what does it mean? So decoding is literally just reading. Decoding is reading and encoding is spelling. So they're kind of flip sides of the coin. You know, one is a receptive process, one is an expressive one, which is why writing is harder than, than reading. Um, but, you know, literally when you lift those sounds off the page, k, at, and blend them together to read cat, that's decoding. Okay. Which, again... Just for people listening that are like, I'm trying to keep up. I, what's structured literacy? What's balanced literacy? So structured literacy is going to teach you all of those components that you need to be able to decode a word. Mm-hmm. Balanced literacy would do what? Wish. <laughs> um, it teaches guessing. I mean, it'll say, like, look at the first letter of the word, then look at the picture. What word do you think it could be? Yeah, what makes sense? You know, all that sort of thing. And, like, there's these strategies that were wildly popular. And I had the posters in my room. I, I, I own it. Um, lips the fish. Get your lips ready to make sounds. Well, how do you even do that? Like, each sound is going to require different <laughs> position. <laughs> yeah. um, eagle eye, you know, look at the picture. Like, what clues can you pick up? And that's it's just teaching guessing. Well, and to your point, going back to your example, horse and pony. Mm-hmm. If the picture is a horse... The child reads pony. It's not wrong. I, I mean, I don't think the age of the horse is displayed in any way in the photo. It's still not reading. It's not reading. <laughs> and so maybe that child says pony. And it's like, yep, keep going. You got it. You got close enough. So the kid's like, I'm reading. But that's a completely different word. It's There's a, a false different security. Horse and pony are not the same word. They don't have the same meaning. Sure, no. they might have the same photo. Well, and we would say, you know, like, oh, well, it's building their confidence that they can read the baby crawls. They know they aren't doing it. It's not real. And they know they're guessing. You know, Um, I was in a conversation with someone, another kindergarten teacher, and um, from Kansas. I don't know. But whatever. Um, And she was like, well, when, how do kids know if they spell something with a C, a K, the digraph C, K? And a whole lot of people were like, well, it doesn't matter. Like, obviously, their phonemic awareness is there because they picked one of those. It really doesn't matter. They, they spelled a sound that they heard. Okay, but kids know they're guessing. They know that there are three ways to spell k, and they don't know how to know when you do that. So, like, for that initial position, it's called the kiss the cat pattern. So, K takes I and E, C takes the other three. So, you're going to look at your vowel. Cat, k, a. Okay, that's a. C goes with a. Kiss, k, e. Okay, I. 
that goes with K. They know now, for a fact, how to spell that initial sound. As you're saying this, I'm like, oh my goodness, I think I need to go back to kindergarten through third grade and relearn some of this, or learn it for the first time, because... I think I just learned through guessing for a while, and then eventually you're like, okay, I think I got it. And guessing doesn't feel good. We know that's not real. I mean, a five-year-old knows. They don't know. Right. That we need to be confident, and the way to be confident is to know. So then, like, using, again, the k sound, um, how do I know how I spell that at the end of a word? Do you just guess? No, you don't at all. We call it the pack the junk pattern. If there is a consonant, in between your short vowel and your k, you're going to spell it with a k. If the short vowel and the k are right next to each other, digraph ck. I have. Uh, I was having a conversation with the principal of an elementary school recently, and a child on the playground used a word that is inappropriate for anyone at school. Um, and the the dean of students was telling the principal this is what happened, um, and so the principal was having a conversation with the student and said tell me what happened. So the student spelt the word and the word ended in a CK. Mm -hmm. And the principal's response was like, I know I should be upset that he said this word, <laughs> but I'm really pumped that he spelled it correctly. Uh, and I think this is a first grader, right? Like see, she was like, we've been learning CK. Like he did it. <laughs> I know it's not the point of this story. And I know he did something wrong, but it's working. Like but, this instruction that we're doing is working. Yeah, that short vowel is right next to the k. So you're going to spell it with the diagram. There you go. <laughs> Small win. <laughs> okay. So tremendous success in your classroom. Mm -hmm. I think um, school-wide, I don't – you're a very our, humble person. Our third graders are 83% proficient at MOI in ELA. Amazing. So it's not just my classroom. Amazing. Do you think it's possible to replicate this success elsewhere? And how? Sure. I mean, just teach explicit, systematic, sequential, code-based instruction. Um, the only thing that I really can't, um, you know, uh, control for is kids who aren't present. I can't teach you to read if you aren't here. So attendance really, really matters. Okay. So let's just nip this in the bud. People are listening. They're like, oh, yeah, but this is S.Y. Jackson. This is in the Northeast Heights. These kids, they're on track. They'll be fine. Of course this is happening well, there. Well, 40% of my kids were fine. I think that's so important, right? And this is what's so hard about this podcast, which is we're trying to uplift people and say there's incredible things happening in our schools. There's no reason that we can't be one of the best states in the country when it comes to education. Mm -hmm. So lifting up stories like yours to say this is possible, but also confronting that hard truth that we have of even our best schools in this state aren't getting it done. To your point, S.Y. Jackson is a coveted school. A lot of people in this city want their kids at S.Y. Jackson. Proficiency rate at S.Y. Jackson was sitting around 45%. So not quite what we want. Nope. And now, what what did you say you're at in third um, grade? Third grade, uh, my principal just told us that third grade's MOI ELA scores were 83% proficient. Incredible. Yep. Because, and going back to what we talked about at the beginning, that carries. If we can get kids there by third grade, they're so much better suited to stay on track for fourth grade and fifth grade and sixth grade and seventh grade. And then we can really start to close some of these gaps that we have statewide. But 
you think that this is just as possible at a school in the South Valley or the North Valley or the International District. As long as kids are in class, you think these results are possible. The brain learns to read in the same way. It really doesn't vary. It is settled science. Love it. But just I wanted to make sure people understand if we do this. Well, I think we make excuses like, oh, they're poor. Oh, they're this. I mean, no, their brain is just fine. We just have to give them what they need to get that process going. Um, it's called orthographic mapping. If anyone wants a great big word and you can't teach orthographic mapping, it is what happens inside your brain. So, and I tell my kids, like, when you're doing this, when you're going k at cat k at k cat, it's painful, it's slow, it's tedious. What you're doing is happening right here in the very front of your brain. But every time you do that, it's kind of like you're building a trail in the forest. No one's ever walked that trail before, and you are building that path to the back of your brain, and you're building your orthographic lexicon, words that you can read instantly, effortlessly. You just look at it, you and I, we look at the word cat, we don't have to think about it. It happens without any effort. That's what orthographic mapping is. This Okay, so I'm hoping that this podcast is going to help people like start this journey to learn so much more because there is so much more to learn to get engaged in this conversation. But you and I have both listened to a podcast that we're both huge fans of, the Sold a Story podcast, mm -hmm. um, which I think is some of the best storytelling on this topic. Can you share your thoughts on that podcast and why you recommend it? Well, Emily Hanford's a goddess, number one. Um, but I think it is important for us to understand how balanced literacy has dominated education since, I want to say, the 80s, maybe the 90s, a really long time. And the fact that it is not based in any science, absolutely none. It's a, it's a feel-good theory. You know, support, surround children with books, words, read to them, and they're going to absorb it like osmosis. But and the real damage, besides the fact that it's untrue and it neglects like 60% of our students – it's putting the blame on parents. Oh, you didn't read to your child enough. You didn't make them love reading. That's garbage. It is unearned garbage and guilt, and we need to end that yesterday. And again, it, I think it goes back to, particularly in states like New Mexico, where we have to be honest about the reality. It's not because, and I say this all the time, parents love their kids. It is very rare to find a parent who is not in a mental capacity where they can actually be loving and caring to their child. Most parents are doing everything they can to give their kids something better. But maybe not all of our parents have the ability to sit at home and read to their child for an hour every day because they're working a couple jobs. They're mm -hmm. trying to get groceries. And for so long we've said, hey, if you can't read with your child for an hour a day, that's on you. Why am I putting in more effort than you are? And then in states like New Mexico, where 71% of our kids are growing up in poverty, we're like, well, of course these are our numbers. Because, mm -hmm. you know, our parents can't read to our children for an hour a day. And they don't have hundreds of books before they start school. And so it is what it is. But this tells us a different story. This tells us a story where kids can show up in kindergarten if they are there, if they are present, if that classroom is implementing structured literacy. We can get them to proficient by third grade. And that's not to say that, you know, a print-rich environment, having exposure and access to books isn't beneficial because absolutely it is. But it is not a crucial piece of learning how to read. 
I so mean, important. it's going to teach them print concepts. It'll give you some background knowledge, you know, that sort of thing. But that's not how we learn to read. So important. And so I think to distill this, and maybe we can use this as like, I would love your thoughts on this before we transition to the lightning round questions. What would you say to teachers and parents about this conversation? If you're, so maybe start with teachers. What would you say to other teachers that haven't started this journey? Um, maybe have never even heard of balanced literacy or structured literacy, and they're maybe listening to this podcast because someone sent it to them, and they're like, wait, where do I start? What do I do? Why should I care? Well, New Mexico is really doing awesome stuff. Um, they've mandated letters, training. It's what language essentials for teachers of reading and spelling. Um, it's Dr. Motes and Dr. Tolman, and it is amazing and wonderful. Um, it's everything I needed to know. Um, and they've mandated that for K, all K through three public school teachers with the option for any other at SY Jackson. You know, our interventionist, our gifted teachers, our special ed teachers, like, even though it's voluntary, we're all doing it. And that's going to make just an enormous difference. Um, I would say, um, you know, take the letter seriously. It's not just one more thing they're making us do. Like, this is something they're giving us. It is a gift. It is the most precious gift PED has ever given me. Um, months before... I got wind of first grade taking it, which would have been April of 2020, 20, 21, whatever year we were offline. We came back in August, uh, April um, for those seven weeks. Um, I heard first grade was getting it. And I had gone to my principal a month or so before. I said, I need $800. And he said, what do you need $800 for? And I said, well, there's a thing called letters. And I really want it. Like, I took really great reading three times. You know, like, this is, this is the next step for me. And he was like, yeah, I don't have $800. I'm like... Well, me either. Um, but then got wind that first grade was um, uh, being able to take it. And then over the summer, I started hearing that kindergarten was going to get to take it. And we started that in, I want to say, October of 21. And um, my teacher bestie, Karen Mayo, and I, we finished it this past December. Amazing. That So for our listeners, the bill that I talked about at the very beginning of the podcast, Senator Stewart's. Um, bill that essentially started us on this structured literacy journey is the bill that as a byproduct of PED has started requiring this letters training for every K-3 educator in New Mexico with the option of anyone else in, in an elementary school setting. And I just really appreciate what you said about you guys, you teachers have so much on your plates. So understandably, the reaction might be, are you kidding me? Mm -hmm. I have to do this. I have to do another training, but I love your advice. Look at this as a gift because it truly is, not just for our educators, but for our kids. We can, like, really make some incredible progress in our reading statewide if we all do this together. Well, so it's the equivalent of about 200 hours, PD hours, outside the classroom, on your own time, time away from your family, time away from your hobbies, but... It's, it was so powerful. I mean, it really did give us everything we needed. The collaboration 
I have never had collaboration like I have since we started this. I mean, every single day I'll be running into Karen Mayo's room going, oh, my gosh, I just did this with my kids. And blah, 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 blah. and she'll say, oh, and I did this. And, it, you know, it's just bouncing things off. And, oh, I didn't think about twisting it around, like doing it that way, like instead of spelling it, having them, you know, whatever. Um, but everyone's going to get there, like kind of at their own pace. Um, there's a lot of ego tied up in teaching, you know. Um, and so when you find out that there's a possibility that perhaps you weren't doing what was best for your students, I mean, that's, that's a hard, bitter thing to swallow. And, I mean, I had a shame spiral and embarrassment and all of that. And then Maya Angelou came through for me. You do the best you can until you know better. And when you know better, you do better. Shook it off, moved on. But I am that person that goes, hey, look, there's water. Let's jump in. And Karen Mayo is like, I'm going to put a toe in and see how it feels, you know. And we all kind of get there at our own pace. But having that collaboration, someone of the same mindset, and you can just be really vulnerable with each other because there's a lot of vulnerability there. Like, oh, I did that wrong. Oops. Let's try again tomorrow, you know. So we just need to be really – we have to be kind to each other while we're advocating for best practices. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, so much grace to extend to educators who are going through. And again, another reason I love this Oldest Story podcast is you hear from educators like yourself that are like, wow, I didn't know. Yeah. And there's a lot of weight that comes with that, with not knowing and what that means for the children that have been through my classroom. And so just really would like to emphasize like the grace that we should extend in this transition for educators because it is heavy. It is an emotionally heavy thing to reconcile. Um, and I'm so appreciative of people like you who – move through it and past it and start um, the good work of changing what your classroom looks like and what your students. I mean, it is kind of a form of grief. Absolutely. And we process grief in different ways on different timelines. And so, yeah, grace is the word. Awesome. Okay. Before we go to lightning round, anything else you want to discuss that we haven't covered? Um, I don't think so. Um, well, okay. Actually, um, Anyone interested in this, teachers, parents, whoever, I mean, A, watch that Purple Challenge two-part video, and B, join the Science of Reading What I Should Have Learned in College Facebook group. It's got so much information, and like for parents who are like try, struggling with, oh, I, I got a leveled reader home from the school, what do I do, you know? Um, just different ways um, for them to, there's like so many posts, scrolling through posts from other parents asking for advice. Um, untold number of people saying, what can I do to support my child who's in a 3 queuing classroom? And each one of those posts will have some expert advice given um, about really gentle ways to go about doing what's best for your kids, but not burning any bridges. Right, <laughs> right. Which is a hard, hard balance to find. Great recommendation. So um, Purple Challenge on... Mm -hmm. YouTube. YouTube. Mm -hmm. um, what I should have learned. Oh. The Science of Reading, What I Should Have Learned in College. Science of Reading, What I Should Have Learned in College Facebook group. Yes, ma'am. For both parents and teachers. Everybody. Awesome. And then, of course, we recommend the Sold a Story podcast, yes. um, which has been one of the top Apple podcasts last year, <laughs> I think. So, like, who knew a podcast about literacy would be so popular? But um, hopefully this one is, the one that you're on, but also sold a story. Well, but it matters to all of us. It really does. It's the whole – it's – I mean, if you can't read, there's a whole lot you can't do. I mean, literacy is liberty. If you look at the literacy – illiteracy rates of our incarcerated population, yeah, 
some 70, 80 percent are functionally illiterate. Literacy is liberty. Mitchell Brookins. I love that. Okay. Some rapid fire quick response questions. Mm -hmm. Are you ready? You got it. It sounds so intense. They're not intense. (laughs) (laughs) Who was your favorite teacher? Um, When I was in college, um, Dr. Jack Williamson. He was a pioneer of science fiction writing, which I don't even really like science fiction writing, but he was teaching a creative writing course at Eastern, and he was just so lovely. He was so gentle and so open. You know, he never took a stance of, like, this is wrong. You know, he would ask questions, and he'd guide you to that stronger path. Just very gentle, lovely man. Awesome. What's your go-to order at a New Mexican restaurant? Oh, cheese enchiladas with red chili. Such a good one. Do you have a favorite (laughs) red chili restaurant? Sadie's. I love Sadie's. So good. (laughs) Now I want that for lunch. Um, What song do you listen to when you need motivation? Uh, Won't Back Down, Tom Petty. Oh, also a great one. Okay. As our close-up, what's your hope for education in New Mexico? I hope that every single elementary classroom teacher gets the training and support that she or he needs to implement the structured literacy. And that support isn't just an attaboy. Like, it's actual, like, we're going to provide the PD for sound wall implementation. It's not wallpaper. Like, you have to teach it explicitly. You know, um, foundations training, which APS is wonderful about providing. Um, providing Hegarty phonemic awareness curriculum to every elementary classroom. Um, that's what support looks like. Um, that students' attendance permits them to be present, to receive that instruction. We can't teach a kid who isn't there. And so we all have a role to play, and these stakes are really, really high, and we all want the same thing. We all want our kids to succeed, and our kids do deserve better than they've been getting, and so I want to give them what they need. Amazing. Bella, I can't thank you enough for making time to have this conversation with not just me, but hopefully everyone that's listening. But more importantly for everything that you've done over the last five years on this journey and being so willing and vulnerable to share that with listeners, with your fellow staff at SY Jackson. It's people like you that when we make this change statewide, as it moves from a ripple to a wave to a tidal wave, it's going to be because of teachers like you that said, something is not right here. Let me investigate. Let me take the time to learn better so I can do better. And I'm just, I'm so grateful for you. Thank you so much. We also have to look at the role admin plays. My principal could not be more supportive. I mean, he could easily have said, no, you have to teach what we've given you with fidelity, no deviations. And then I'd have to close my door and hope he doesn't walk in while I do what I think is best. Right. You know, um, and so that's a lot of it too, is trusting our teachers and, and for admin to actually give that real support. I mean, it's such a rush when you look at those scores and you look at what your kids can do that you never thought possible. Such a positive, positive story that I hope people leave this conversation knowing that we can do better, not just at S.Y. Jackson, not just in Ms. Chandler's class, but in every K-3, K-5 classroom across the state, we can do this. I genuinely believe that. Thank you for sharing that hope with us today. It was so great to have you. Thank you. As you know, if you've listened to our first couple of episodes, at the end of each episode, we'll highlight any relevant education news that we think you need to know. Today, we're going to focus less on news stories and more on ways you can get involved in improving literacy in New Mexico. First, I want to reiterate the recommendations from today's conversation with Bella. 
Check out the Purple Challenge on YouTube, a two-part video series. And teachers and parents, join the Science of Reading, What I Should Have Learned in College Facebook group. There you'll find lots of information about how to move forward in your own literacy journey as a teacher or a parent. And lastly, listen to the Soul to Story podcast. It's six episodes, and I can tell you it is truly the best thing I listened to last year. It is heartbreaking, it is important, and it will help you as an educator or a parent or an everyday citizen understand more about what we talked about today, this argument between balanced literacy and structured literacy, and it will help you understand how we got to where we are today, why our children don't have access to the things that we know they need to learn to read, and we hope that you will take that information and join us because legislative session is underway and our number one policy priority this year for New Mexico Kids Can is this early literacy conversation and we really need your help. So if you head over to our social media pages or you join our email list, which you can do on our website at nmkidscan.org, there you'll find ways to reach out to your legislator to let them know that you support the science of reading and that you're counting on them to make sure that every student in New Mexico, every single student in every classroom, in every school across the state, is getting access to the instruction and materials they need to learn to read. I hope you're inspired by our conversation with Bella today. We can dramatically improve literacy rates in the state of New Mexico if we take this opportunity to create change statewide. And as we always say, we can't do it without you. So we hope that you'll join us in reaching out to the legislature to make sure they know this needs to be a priority. That's all we've got for you today. Thank you so much for joining us for this important conversation. Please don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts so you never miss an episode. You can follow us on social media at NMKidsCan to catch all the latest education news and hear about other opportunities to use your voice to create change. As I've said so many times today, this conversation is likely one of the most conversations we need to have across the state, and we want more people to hear it. So we'd appreciate you sharing this podcast with your friends, families, and colleagues, and please share it on social media as well. Thank you for listening. Talk to you soon.